Point three, we are what we are by the grace of God. If there is any goodness found in us, none of us deserve any of the glory because grace gets the credit, right? No matter who we are. Point four, I like this simple thing. I don't know, even though I wrote it, but <laughs> no, it says because of grace, I'll let you be what you are by the grace of God. This is why, again, I read so much in Corinthians and all that stuff about Paul and food offered unto idols and all this thing. One man's faith permits him to do this while another man's faith permits him only to eat this. And when you see the spiritual truth about that, I can't judge how God works with you. You know what I mean? I just can't do it. So who am I to look down upon you if God deals with you in a certain manner? Or what have you. I just, I just refuse to do it. I've got to let you be who you are. You know what I mean? Now that doesn't mean to let somebody stay in sin. See, don't mishear me. We're talking about just understanding that you'll, you'll be uniquely you. God will work in you, His particular work in you, because you're all individuals. But what people that don't understand grace are, they try to get people to conform to their image. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not created. We're, not, we're to be created in His image. You know, we're not to recreate people in our own image. And again, in churches so often, people don't mean to, but they're trying to duplicate themselves. They're trying to make little clones of whoever the pastors are. And we're supposed to be, again, promoting people towards Christ-likeness, not rod-likeness. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, we want, this is why we're preaching Christ. And while we can talk about our experience, our experience isn't what we point people to. Our experience isn't what sets people free. It's what Christ has done in us. Paul said, if I'm going to glory in anything, I'm going to glory in that, what Christ has done in me. And again, this is, it's subtle, but it's a, it's a real important issue. Now, again, I know that, forgive me, because I've been preaching all the other time, but I, I want to go through the rest of the outlines. Point B, we're not just to claim grace, but we're to demonstrate it. And again, this is going to sound very similar to the love walk, because that's what it is. We're called to demonstrate it. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 8, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. And I, I forgive me, but I got to say, please don't just turn off when we read these familiar verses. Because I remember when I was in Bible school, like I said, some of these verses, you know, the same verses were quoted in every single class we ever took. And so sometimes they go, oh, yeah, we were dead in sins. And, you know, you just kind of, and it's easy, isn't it? You just, well, I know what the verse says. But somehow force yourself, like I said, to read them. And when you get home, take them out again and just say, no, 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 no. I'm going to make this truth mine. I want to own this. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when I was dead in sin, he quickened me together with Christ. By grace, I was saved. And he raised me, personalized it. See, he raised me up together and made me to sit together in heavenly places in Christ, with Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards me through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. For by grace are you saved through faith, not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Again, Paul just declaring this grace is a gift. First John 2, 6 says, whoever says he abides in him ought as a personal debt to walk and conduct himself in the same way in which he walked and conducted himself. Is that right? Is that what it says? What does it say? <laughs> <laughs> so 
says, he who says he abides in him ought as a personal debt to walk, conduct himself in the same way in which he walked and conducted himself. Now let me give you one more word picture that turn to John the eighth chapter. It's not on the outline, but I want you to, I want to turn to John the eighth chapter. When I was praying today, the Lord told me just to, to share this real quickly. John eight, verse one. <clears throat> but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning at dawn. He came back into the temple court and the people came to him in crowds. He sat down and was teaching them. When the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Remember? They made her stand in the middle of the court and put the case before him. Teacher, they said, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such women offenders shall be stoned to death. But what do you say to do with her? What is your sentence? This they said to try to test him, hoping they might find a charge on which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. However, when they persisted with their question, he raised himself up and said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he bent down and went on writing on the ground with his finger. They listened to him and then they began going out conscience stricken one by one from the oldest down to the last one of them, till Jesus was left alone with the woman standing there before him in the center of the court. When Jesus raised himself up, he said to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? She answered, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go on your way, and from now on, sin no more. Okay? Now what you have here is what? The basic difference between the Jesus style of ministry. You hear me? And the legalistic side of ministry who will search and look for the mistakes and do their utmost to bring them before the people, as opposed to the Jesus style, who will be well aware of it, but also be well aware of what carries the greater importance. Let me tell you something. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to condemn it. Did he? Who are we supposed to be like? Jesus Christ did not come into this world to condemn it. Did he excuse her sin? No. But he would not accuse her. What he did was, he said, woman, there's no one to condemn you. The issue is just go and sin no more. You've been found out. Now I'm just going to read some things that I wrote down here when I was studying this out today. In case you were, you know, a lot of people want to know what he wrote in the ground. It's been something that people have, have talked about for years and years and wrote, and there's many different ideas. But one of the one of the possible, real possible ones that that is of interest is the fact that there's, you know, he wrote with his finger on the earth, and there's typology here about the earth. Him stooping down twice, coming to the earth twice, standing up. 
coming down. There's, there's typology and all this. But he wrote with his finger, is he not God in the flesh? There's only two other scriptures in all the Bible where it speaks about the finger of God. Did you know that? Only two. So there's three verses. This verse and two other verses and the other two verses, the only place it's ever spoken about the finger of God is when the law was given through Moses and it was written by the finger of God. The law, the Ten Commandments. Okay? So what many people say and what I, I don't know either, we'll never know until we get to heaven, but very, very possibly because of this scriptural usage in the only other two places in Scripture, what he may have been writing down is the Ten Commandments. Now, we don't know for sure, but let me just write. The only other place in Scripture where the illustration of the finger of God has been given was, was, was to Moses. That's Exodus 31, 18 and Deuteronomy 9, 10. The Ten Commandments, which, if you'll hear this, which accuse us all. In other words, we all find that we all found where we sinned when we looked in the categories that are in the Ten Commandments. John 5, 45 is where Jesus said, There's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you have put your hopes and dreams. Now I'm going to just read what I wrote down here. All as though he heard them not. There's a scripture where it says, back in here it says, When they persisted. Well, let me see where the verse is. Where they said, Lord, you know, they've been, well, you know, there's all kinds of things here. They, first of all, they caught the woman, it says, in the very act of adultery. And it's interesting, of course, they didn't bring the man, did they? And yet in the book of Leviticus, when it speaks about this, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says you're supposed to bring the man and the woman. But they only brought the woman. So, I mean, you know, and, and it says they're trying to catch him. But there's this one place, and it's not here in the Amplified, but where it says he basically, I've got it from the King James on my notes here, where it's got this phrase, he bends down and writes as though he heard them not. In other words, here's Jesus, the ear of God, Here's all these people bringing accusation and Jesus acted as if he didn't even hear them. He just stooped at the ground, began to write. And I just wrote down, how many times in our walk with Jesus does it appear that, his act, that he's acting towards us that way where he's just acting like he doesn't hear us? But Jesus wasn't ignoring them. He acted that way because they were asking the wrong question. 